I wonder if he has any good stories of working with Bono. What? Bono? Yeah, you said he was a pilot for U2. Tom, no, he was a U2 pilot. Uh, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, U2 the airplane. Yeah, not the band. <laughs> oh. Well, that's way more interesting. I guess I need to rewrite my questions. Go ahead and take your speed up. You're number one now. Runway 27, clear to land, green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to The Green Dot, EA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm Tom Sharpentier, EA Government Relations Director and one of your hosts across the table. I'm Chris Henry. I'm the EAA Aviation Museum Programs Coordinator. And Chris, today we've got a guest who uh, has a lot of uh, high altitude experience. Uh, Not quite the uh, highest flyer we've had on the podcast, but pretty close. Absolutely. I am super excited to introduce Carl Trout. Carl is here today to talk to us about flying the U-2. And Carl, thank you for making the trip up to, to spend a day or two here with us. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for uh, inviting me, oh, me and my wife. Thank absolutely. You. It's a huge honor. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's a question I always like to just dive right in with for people because you always hear a really cool, uh, different tale. Uh, what first really got you excited about flying? Well, I started flying actually when I was 14 years old. Um, a, a farmer friend of my father um, was doing some work for him. And uh, he just looked down at me when the job was finished. He just looked down at me, and I was a little tiny 14-year-old boy. And, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to go flying. He had his own plane. And I'd never been up before, so uh, looked at Dad. Dad said, well, if you want to go, go. So I went. And it was an air coupe, uh, uh, old-style air coupe. You know, there's no rudders or anything like that. And, and, uh, he, and he, he took me up, but he also let me fly. And, uh, man, I was hooked. And he uh, took me up many more times after that. And um, then later on in school, they had, um, they don't, I don't think they have them anymore. I think it's part of the Boy, Boy Scouts, but um, uh, Explorers Club. And uh, they went out and actually bought a plane, and, and anybody wanted to join the club. And we had an old Piper Cub, Tripacer. And... Uh, so actually, when I was in high school, I, I sold and already had my private's license before I went to college. And uh, went to college to be a, a, a geologist. But they also, there at Indiana State University there in Terre Haute, they had an um, aviation course. And so then I branched off and did both. And uh, being a poor boy from Indiana, pretty much got, you know, you had to go one or the other. It was getting too expensive to do both. And uh, geology is something I've always loved, but uh, I just, aviation took me. So I just went on ahead and focused on that path and got all my ratings, multi-engine, you know, IFR, you know, commercial and everything. And uh, uh, graduated from there, the Air Force was making an offer at that time. They were low on pilots. They'd already gotten rid of all the old vintage Vietnam guys they'd all gone off to the airlines and and uh so they had a great program four years that's it that's all I had to sign in for and uh, I thought what the hell you know four years uh then I'm then I'm back out on the street so uh that's what brought me to aviation really and so I signed up for four years and I stayed for 20. How's that? Overshot your target just a little bit. <laughs> I have many times. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of funny to to uh, you know you, you compare notes with um, with people who have come through aviation and have had interest in flying for the military, and it really just kind of is the timing of when you come up and what it their is. needs are. It's just uh, I, you know rather be lucky than good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like it seems like right now, it's like if you want the job, you got it. Um, uh, which, yeah, which is uh, you know really great for the uh, for the kids coming up right now. But well, you know. Uh, I you know I, was, I don't know if y'all know I was also twenty years uh, Southwest pilot. Oh yeah, after retiring out of the Air yeah. Force and and um, parents a lot of times they'd have little kids or whatever or teenagers and uh, bring them to the cockpit and you know what should I do, this, that, and the other. And I always told him, I said, you get the kid in aviation because uh, there's a huge wave of no pilots coming yeah. for uh, commercial aviation. So you'll see Lyft Academy. There's all kinds of uh, schools just 
you don't have to do a four-year degree. You're, you're not required to have a college degree um, to be a, uh, an airline pilot. Okay, helps to get hired, but right now they don't give a you know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Basically, they, they just want a warm body up there in the cockpit. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, so, so, um, so, Carl, after you you joined the uh, the Air Force, what um, what kind of was your path? Um, you know, through the um, uh, through your different different jobs there and through the Air Force inventory. I, I take it you probably started in the T thirty seven back then. Right. Um, you know, I went. To, I was a ninety day wonder. You know, um, just went down to San Antonio three months. You know, okay, Omni Omni V O R. Now you're an officer, <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, went to. They sent me to Enid, Oklahoma, um, Vance Air Force Base, and uh, yeah, at that time it was everybody went to T thirty seven, T thirty seven, and I'll talk about that later. It all it was was get to. It was a I didn't like flying the darn thing, but a lot of people did, but I didn't like flying the darn thing. But uh, um, it was just to get you used to the Air Force way of flying. Now you're going to wear a parachute. Now you're going to be strapped into a, you know, a five-point harness. You got to have a helmet. You got to have an oxygen mask, you know, all that. So it was just that kind of trainer. Real quick, transferred out of that. Uh, next step is a T-38 Talon, white rocket. Um, which was a, I flew that plane for almost 20 years. And I'll tell you how here in a minute, if I don't bore you. Um, <laughs> so it was the trainer and that's really to separate the wheat from the chaff, if you will. Um, guys that are, that are getting it, getting the Air Force way and guys that are a little lacking, if you will, a little bit. Um, uh, starts out. First, you're just trying to fly the darn thing. Um, you know, the, the wings on T-38 are like an ironing board. I mean, they're, they're yeah. not. If it wasn't for speed, it wouldn't fly. How's that? <laughs> you know? And um, um, supersonic uh, fighter trainer type of thing, if you will. And, um, you know, you do the just the regular stuff you want to do, uh, formation flying, navigation, high-speed navigation, this, that, and the other. Um, did really well. I um, I got lucky. Um, I figured the darn thing out, and I was qualified back then. I don't know if they do it still anymore, but back then you they, you were either um, uh, considered a heavy pilot or a, a far fighter attack reconnaissance uh, pilot, and uh, out of graduation, and that would what what would dictate what you got, and I was far rated uh, fighter attack reconnaissance, uh, but I didn't want any of those. I'm not sure why, just uh, didn't fit my personality. I'd run into some of the instructor pilots for fighter pilots and this, that, and the other, and they're uh, just point blank, a lot of them were arrogant. I didn't like it. <laughs> so I put down on the paper that I just wanted a B-52. Yeah. That's a little odd, isn't it? And I mean, everybody just was shocked. But anyway, I asked for a B-52, so when the assignment night came down, you know, in the arena when everybody gets their assignment, I got a B-52 to Ellsworth Air Force Base. Wow. I got exactly what I wanted. And, and it is interesting because we've talked to quite a few military pilots on the podcast in, in the past, and we, we've kind of gone through the same kind of training progression with them. And uh, um, it is interesting that there is such a difference of opinion as far as which assignment you want. I mean, um, the fighter pilots we've all talked to, um, they wanted fighters. They yeah. weren't going to get anything other than fighters. Right. Um, and they were relieved when they got the fighter, you know, that they, right. that they, they, they didn't get a different assignment, but, um, uh, you know, that, that the heavies are, are, have a really amazing quality in their own right. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, they, yeah. they do. Um, I, um, when I went to castle, which is no longer an air base, air force base, um, out at the Merced, California, went out there to train and then finally, you know, arrived at Beale. Um, I can't tell you how hard a B-52 is to fly, hmm. to fly well. Yeah, sure. Um, it's a um, big lumbering giant in the air. Are y'all pilots? Yep. Y- y'all pilots? Um, okay, B-52 has no ailerons. It's just spoilers. Hmm. And so you imagine that mass out there. And, you know, you want to yank and bank or whatever. So you take the yoke and crank it in there. As soon as she starts moving over, 
you got to start taking it back out because that son, son of a gun will start. <laughs> I mean, it'll just keep going. Uh, it's a lot of momentum in a B-52. Imagine doing that behind a tanker and air refueling. Yeah. I mean, that, that yoke was, uh, I mean, I'm glad they screwed that thing on straight or tight because, I mean, <laughs> I was cranking and yanking and banking on there. Um, to fly a B-52 well, you really had to think ahead. Like you'd think a fighter pilot would have to be well ahead of his jet. B-52 pilot has to be like beyond that. Because this thing is a big lumbering giant, and um, you know when I flew it, it was the Cold War was still happening, mm-hmm. and um, so my crew, a crew of six people, we would uh, one month out, or excuse me, one week out of the month, um, it was our rotation, and uh, back then you sat and for that whole week you were out there at a little bungalow next to your plane. The plane was already fueled up, already loaded with uh, the big boys. And uh, you lived out there yeah. for one whole week, and um, and you hoped the horn didn't go off. Yeah, <laughs> you know that is one thing. I, I, I was that was the Cold War. Uh, yeah, no, and definitely, and and uh, an alert was a real thing. Uh, oh I, yeah, I um I was curious. You know, I've been uh, obviously Chris has been very involved with. Um, you know, we, we've we've talked about the B seventeen book that uh, that he and Hal wrote, and um, uh, I've been reading some um, some I saw stuff. Your license plate, by the way. Oh, yeah, like, that's, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and and just lately, I've been I've been reading uh, more about the heavies during World War II. Do, does that does that heritage uh, still carry over into the um, into the strategic bomber community at um, at the Air Force? I don't know. I, I I hope so. Yeah. But I, I no I um uh, after I left B fifty twos I um uh, I never never was around any more bombers. Mm-hmm. Bomber pilots at at that time. I um uh, I can only hope so with the B one yeah the, the bone and, and um uh, the B two guys. I have no idea. Yeah, no, it, that's a fair enough answer. I, I just um you know the the I feel like the Air Force does a does a really good job, you know, carrying on the um, the the traditions and the heritage of their um, of of their units, and uh, that's uh, just something I hope I was, so. Yeah, yeah, I really hope so, sir. Yeah. So at uh, at what point did you make the transition to the U two, and how did that come about? <laughs> well, um, okay, so I was flying B fifty twos at Ellsworth Air Force Base there at South uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. So the base was transitioning then to um, B-1s. The B-1s were first coming out. So I was in um, uh, Stanaval, that's like being a Czech pilot or whatever in, in civilian worlds. Um, and they came to me and said, what do you want? You want to go anywhere in a B-52 or do you want to stay at Ellsworth and be a co-pilot in a B-1? And I thought about it. It's like, let's be, you know, I've been flying an older jet still at that time. And it's still flying, by the way. But anyway, um, so I stay at Rapid City to fly a B-1. So I usually get everything I want. So far, I'm a pretty lucky guy. So they gave me orders to a T-38 in, 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 in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> you, know, you don't get everything you want. But it was pretty fortunate because uh, I also met my wife there in uh, Lubbock. And uh, so that was, and I enjoy teaching the T-38. I, uh, that's why I, I told you earlier, I've flown the darn thing for almost 20 years. Um, so pilot training, that, and, uh, and also when I was flying B-52s at that time, you also got to fly a T-38 as a co-pilot. So I flew, it's called the ACE program back then. So pilot training, flying a B-52, and also a T-38. Now they're sending me to teach T-38. To uh, its students there in Rapid in um, in Lubbock, and uh, so that lasted four years. To get to your question, um, I was getting out of the Air Force. I finally decided I had enough, and the airlines had one of those things where they were rapidly hiring. It was one of the lulls, I guess. So they were hurting for pilots, so they were hiring. So I dropped my papers uh, to get out, and. Um, um, started doing an airline interview and a friend of mine who I'd met um, flying elsewhere uh, Jeff Groover by the way he's a great guy big aviation guy and uh, I'll get a probably call when this thing airs but anyway 
um, we had a couple calls, and he's flying. To, he was flying to U two, and he said, "Hey, come on out here, uh, two week interview, um, and uh, you get to fly the U two, the training model, um, three times. So just come on out, fly the U two, see what you want. If you don't want it, you don't have to take it. But uh, wouldn't that look nice in your logbook that you flew a U two three times? Okay, just for grins." And and he said, then we'll come out here and party and drink a lot of beer and have fun. <laughs> so uh, I'm always up for that. So I went out. And that was in the uh, summer of 89. So I went out there and did my interview. And uh, I stayed for 12 years. It, uh, it, was the, it is the hardest airplane in the world to fly. Uh, even the guys at Edwards Air Force Base, uh, the test pilots, they come out and th- their uh, graduates would get to fly the U-2. We would alternate um, out at Beale. Well, um, Air Force uh, test pilots would get to fly the U-2, coming out and fly the U-2, or the Navy guys would come out. And uh, because whether, where, ever, where else could you go to fly an uncontrollable aircraft? Sure. And it was that's how they considered it. It was considered it uh, uncontrolled um, um, every input you did to the, to the to the controls required another input and that input required another input so uh, you're when you're flying to U2 uh, especially during I mean during the landing phase you're uh, you're going stop to stop on the rudder pedals you're going stop to stop on the yoke and the only way you can land the plane is to totally stall it out. So all you're doing all this, and you're going stop to stop on the rudder pedals, and the yoke is going like this in a spacesuit, and your <laughs> yoke is all the way back because you got to stall the damn thing. <laughs> you have to, yeah, yeah, you have to totally stall it. While we're on the landing, um, can you talk a little bit about how the um, how the chase car works? Um, well, and how uh, that process I don't does? know your audience. I'm pretty. I'm sure they're probably pretty versed in some stuff of the U2. But um, start out with U2 uh, has four wheels when it taxis out. Okay, uh, one right behind the pilot. You have a tail wheel. And U2 is a tail dragger. It's the only jet tail dragger ever. How's that? And but I don't have a tail dragger rating. I don't know why. And you have a, a wheels on uh, the wingtips. And uh, when you take off, about you roll only about maybe 10, 20 feet, and the wings start flying. So they lift up, and the wheels fall off the, the wings. So now you lost two of the four you had. <laughs> <laughs> so during the landing, it's, uh, it behooves you to try to keep the wingtips off the ground. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you too... Okay, Chris, how many planes have you flown where the wingtip is considered a landing surface? Uh, zero. Yeah. <laughs> and I have actually, and I'll show you a tape later today. Uh, sometimes you land wingtip first. I've done that uh, quite a few times to keep from ground looping. It only has 15 knots worth of capability, uh, crosswind. And sometimes there's, you know, when you're flying a U-2 out there and you're doing the real thing, uh, you can't divert to Oshkosh. You can't divert to anywhere in Europe. I mean, you, you basically, if that's where you're supposed to land, bloody well land there, okay, mm-hmm. no matter what it takes. And that's happened quite a few times. Um, that's a landing procedure. Yeah, it's, uh, you gotta, you got to stall it out. Um, the test pilots, when, the, when Lockheed first built the darn thing, uh, they tried to land it like a normal airplane, and the thing just went, it kept pogoing down the runway. It kept bouncing, bouncing. Tony, he just kept bouncing. And uh, and to get it to land at first, he just got over the runway out there at uh, Groom Lake and shut the darn thing off and landed it. You know, it couldn't fly anymore. And uh, so they talked, and pretty much they figured out you got to stall the damn it, it, Those wings are so efficient. The I mean, it's just the plane wants to fly, and you have to stall it out. So you, with landing a U-2, I don't care if you're in the grass, if you're on the runway, don't matter none. If you're on the center line, you've got to keep it straight if uh, you can't land in a crab because, you know, the, the front wheel is just right behind me 
tailwheel's back here, the entire mass of the airplane is behind you. So if that thing gets a little bit off, all the mass in the world's behind you. Guess what it doesn't want to do is slow up. Right. And you'll ground loop that thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, you. That's it, all it wants to do. It wants the ground loop. So the um, uh, uh, th those who are familiar with with um, you know, I've watched video of it or have been to Oshkosh and seen the uh, the fly pass we did um, uh, this this past year. Um, know that there's a there, there's a, a a chase car that's involved in the landing um phase what yeah. what are they what are they communicating to you in the cockpit um the chase car your mobile is just as important as the guy flying the, that mission um i'm gonna back this up just a little bit okay say i'm flying a real mission i'm over in panama i'm over in taif saudi arabia or wherever the hell i've been uh why I'm getting suited up, you know, and uh, getting a spacesuit, which takes a while, getting up, um, 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 you know, you have to pre-breathe for an hour um, before you can go up, all that stuff. My mobile is doing everything I should be doing as a pilot, okay? He's doing the walk around. He or she is doing the walk around, uh, checking the plane out. Actually gets into the cockpit and make sure the computer's loaded up with all my targets, all my flight plan. Um, rings out all the sensors with uh, the um, spooks, if you will. I'm just going to say that. Um, you all know what I mean. Okay. Um, make sure everything's going. He throws on, he or she throws on all the switches that can be thrown on without the darn thing starting. I'm done pre-breathing. I come out. They put me in the cockpit. You put your arms up because that's all you can do. You can't strap yourself in. You can't even reach your own feet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can't. You 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 can't. You can't do anything. You put your arms up, and a um, life support uh, person comes in and straps you in. Puts your five point harness in. Um, um, gets you uh, interface with the with the with the aircraft. Hooks up your aircraft oxygen your, your communication system i mean just everything and uh and then you're waiting around for the word to go this is and the mobile which is what your question is uh this is a round a long way around to get no, this to, is this is great Keep okay going. um so you finally get the word that uh, okay you're a go okay so i can't even close my own capsule like canopy um you can't do anything in there you know you're you're all thumbs um but he's on headset and we'll talk you know we're it's sort of funny being a pilot i mean you guys know what to do morbid little jokes or each other you know it's like man if you don't make it can i have your car <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, especially for the guy just bought a corvette or something yeah. like that <laughs> can i have the keys <laughs> um um <laughs> anyway so he does everything it's, it's sort of like having two pies flying one mission if you will you know mobile is very um, important um and, and I, like i said i can't even close up a canopy and one point here um the you guys are all air, airplane enthusiasts you know what the fuselage is of a u2 you know you know that's a 104 starfighter huh Right. Yeah. yeah, I never yeah. thought of that. Well, no shit, I'm so, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah we, no, that's a 104. Yeah, Even huh. including the canopy, is it? Uh, there's in a clamshell. Yeah, it's on the. It's on the side hinge. It's on the side hinge. Yeah. It's, a, it's a 104. Okay. That's how. Uh, that's how uh, uh, Lockheed built the damn thing so quick. That's a 104, including the tail and everything. We we have a the, model of the uh, of the of the aircraft in the studio here, so we're we're we're, we're looking at it right now, oh, and yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you can really see it around like if the you get a model of a 104, yeah, that fuselage is exactly the same. Wow, that's yeah. that's, that's how Kelly crazy. Johnson made it so fast for the CIA uh, for the company, <laughs> CIA company. <laughs> um, all right, so anyway, so I mean, I can't even close that. So he comes down, and he pulls it down, and he and he bolts me in. Anyway, uh, taxi down, even uh, tail dragger, okay, as soon as you get out in the windstream and everything, out of the hangar, uh, and you're taxied out, the mobile helps you. He, uh, you know, if you're turning into the wind, well, it's pretty easy to make that turn. You're turning, you know, against the wind, that son of a gun takes a long time, and you don't have much throw on that tail wheel back here. 
uh, I've been in places before where I couldn't make the turn. And they come back out here, and the maintenance guys will pull the pin out of the tail, and you're sitting there getting to go. You're ready to go on a real mission, and they're a bunch of, you know, about 10, 12 guys are pushing on your tail sideways. You know, just totally they pull the pin out of there, and they can shove it, just shove it around. And put the pin back in, it's like, you're off, Colonel. Go ahead. <laughs> Have a nice day. You know, but um, so the mobile's there for that. And uh, when you take off uh, the uh, the uh, the pogos on the on the wings, there they fall off. He tells you they're clear, and psh, you're off. Coming back around, so you've been up there for like a bazillion hours, and um, you can't move. You're tired. You're in a pressure suit. Um, can't see out of the darn thing because you're in this bubble. You know, you don't have any peripheral vision. And now you're, you're asked to lie in the hardest plane in the world, to, you, <laughs> you know, to, and um, you're totally fatigued. And that's what he's there for. He is very instrumental in uh, helping you come down. He'll call your altitude at the T, the threshold, right at the T. And he'll ca- count you down. And what you're trying to do as a pilot is to get the, uh, the airplane about two feet up above the ground. And, um, and just, you just mobile, if you heard a, com- a conversation on, on the radio, it'd be like, uh, there's four, three, two, two, hold it off. He's telling you to hold it off because you're starting to, you're coming down, but you still have too much airspeed because the tail's still flying. Okay. So he says, you know, get back up to two, three, two, two, hold it off, hold it off, hold it off. The plane will finally stall out and come to the ground and you'll holler left rudder, left rudder. Because you're not lined up. you got to be lined up in that thing or the ground loop. And even if you're in the grass, you keep that, keep that SOB, you know, straightened out. You'll holler left rudder, rudder, rudder raise your right wing, raise your right wing, um, all the way till you're, you're stopped. And um, it's amazing. If you've got about 10 knots of nose uh, wind, headwind uh, on a U2, we used to sit there and we would, we would uh, bet beers on who could keep the wingtips up, you know, because you could do this. And as heavy as that thing is, you can sort of balance <laughs> it out and keep it off. Otherwise, uh, whichever wing had the most gas in it, she just finally fall. And the wingtip, like I said earlier, is a landing surface. It's skid pad underneath here, titanium skid pad. And uh, we used to tease the SR guys that that's what they did with the SRs, is built them down to make our skid pads for us. <laughs> <laughs> We had quite a few guys, by the way. Uh, some started in U2, um, and they went to the SR, came back to the U2. Some started just with the SR, uh, Tom Danielson. You know, and he was an SR pilot and came to the U2. We had all kinds of guys, and and then uh, we had some guys from NASA, um, Kevin Chilton, uh, Chili Chilton. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, hell, you know, so it's sort of like have spacesuit, we'll travel, you know, type of thing. So. We, so the the views when you're up at altitude out of a U2 are the thing of legend. I mean, we've seen pictures of You're going to see them tonight, too. I can't wait. Uh, so, I mean, what's that like that first time you get up to, to altitude and you get to go out and see, you know, just describe that view out for people who maybe haven't seen it. Uh, you'll never forget it. And uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to describe it. Not every time was I privileged to have enough time, if you will, in the cockpit. Because uh, some places in the world, I was pretty damn busy in there, you know, to just sightsee. But, um, but boy, when you could, it's just I never once took it for granted. It's the prettiest view. Um, the earth is round, by the way. If there's any flat earthers out there, <laughs> this place is just a ball in the in the in the universe. Um, um, no, the first time uh, I went high, of course, it's with your instructor in the in the two seater. But even then, uh, hell, you just look out and, uh, like I said, you know, uh, the earth's round, and um, as you're going up. You know, around 60, 63, 65, um, you look out there and uh, on the horizon, and um, 
not all not all the time, but good many of the times the you could look out on the horizon and you see striations of the atmosphere. And um, then you get up there 70 and all I can uh, 70s. Uh, I, we went above 70, okay, but above is the good word, but that's all I'm okay, that's that's all I can say guys. Okay, but you get up there uh, 70 and plus and um, so you're skipping. Uh, basically there's nothing um there's 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 not much air uh above you okay like none and uh, um you look out there and a lot of times imagine yourself uh chris um being in just like a little john boat out in the middle of the ocean you know the ocean's just moving up and down you know rolling away it's just big waves and that that's exactly what the Earth's atmosphere does. You get up there and it just moves. You can see it moving up and down and rolling. And you're part of that. You're just on top of it. And you see that. And the plane's just, you know, it's doing its thing. And um, it's just the coolest thing. I'll never... I'd go back in a minute. My wife would divorce me if I did. But... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, Beautiful black, I mean, you wouldn't think a black sky could be beautiful, but it is against the blue earth. Um, it's, uh, it's breathtaking, you know, and uh, I remember the first time I saw it, and I remember the last time. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, uh, you're going to see some pictures tonight. Well, I'll just let it out. One of the pictures I'm going to show you tonight is um, just like now, you go outside, you look up, you see a airliner, you know, the contrails way up there. And, you know, so it's, he's high 30s, low 40s, okay? And look, you can hardly see him. You just can't see him. You can only see the contrail, right? So I'll show you a picture tonight of uh, me looking down on that airliner. Oh, wow. That's okay. fantastic. So I'm looking down at the contrail. I can't see the airplane. So how high was I? <laughs> what do you think, gentlemen? Well, I mean, if you were, I mean, uh, let's yeah, just I'm say. Just, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to pin me down. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, uh, okay, even at 70, and if he's at 35, you're you're farther from him up there than we are from him on the ground i'll let you do the math <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, you can't pin me down yeah no i understand, I understand. wow that's incredible yeah yeah that's a good picture it really i've used that picture before because i've done some of these talks um to some rltc uh folks india state university and and rolls hallman institute of technology there in uh, high schools and stuff and that picture always gets everybody because there's, you can see everybody in the crowd going, well, shit, uh, uh, how high? You know, <laughs> they're doing the mental math real quick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know if I've answered a single question. No, you've done, you've this done is, just no, fine. Don't worry about right. it. This is incredible. Yeah. Um, the feds aren't here yet. Are yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, what, what's your next I, I guess one of the questions we want to ask for oh. folks that are maybe unfamiliar with the U2. All right. Um. It's not the band, by the way. Right, yes, exactly. We <laughs> are not Bono going... has nothing to do with this damn thing. We are not going to automatically just download this podcast onto your, <laughs> your iPhones and your iTunes. So. <laughs> I still can't get rid of that yeah, dang album. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I guess for those that are, that are unfamiliar, um, can you just kind of elaborate generally on what the mission of the U2 is? All right. Um, U2 was originated... Uh, started um to be a uh, cold war uh reconnaissance aircraft there was a bomber gap went after world war ii uh, and the iron curtain went down according to winston churchill um so we didn't know how we, we weren't scared of the rockets back then uh we were scared of the bombers and uh, we didn't know how many bombers they had so the company wanted an aircraft that could overfly the Soviet Union and uh, take pictures of airfields and figure out the bomber gap. Do we have enough? Do we have too many? You know, whatever. So that's when they went to Kelly Johnson. 
And uh, quick little story. Again, I can't answer anything quick. I'm sorry. I've lived this thing. You know, how do you put your whole life into 10 minutes? Um, anyway, Kelly Johnson, uh, CIA came to him and gave him a hunk of money. The way they did it, they put it in his, the money went into his personal banking account. Him and his wife's personal <laughs> bank, they, 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 they laundered the money, okay? If you're the CIA, you can do anything. Sure. So they yeah. laundered the money. Put this, <laughs> so Kelly went out to Groom Lake with the 104 fuselage, built these weird ass, these weird, uh, you know, wings, did some really funky things with the fuel control unit. And um, the U-2 came out, Groom Lake, um, under budget and before the deadline. You, and I think in, in, the, in today's world, that's that's never going to happen again. Okay. Actually, at the end of it, Kelly, uh, you know, because when he needed parts, he just actually wrote his own personal check, him and his wife's personal check to, to get parts and this, that, and the other, build this thing. When it was all done, he wrote a check back to the company and give it back to him. Wow. Because he was under budget. Anyway, so uh, they came up with this thing. And just all they wanted was something that was could fly so high, it uh, could evade missiles or any uh, air breathing uh, fighters, and it, and, it, and it can, okay. So um, so that's how the U two came about. It's a high altitude, extreme altitude reconnaissance aircraft. Uh, yes, it takes photos. Uh, it takes imagery. Takes photos. Those are two different things, by the way. Uh, the the pods that the wing sometimes you'll see the aircraft with or without pods on the on the wing uh no they are not fuel tanks okay they do things <laughs> one senior spear one's uh ruby and uh everything with the u2 is uh senior okay senior this senior that um and uh, if you look back through the old uh, uh articles in the in um and the congressional records, the, it's never called a U-2. It's called the article. Hmm. It's referred to as the article. And uh, if you ever guys get a chance to go out to Beale Air Force Base, uh, in the Heritage Room, it's, a, it's like a museum. One half's like a museum, the other half's like a bar. So, um, but <laughs> on the wall, all around the thing is uh, plaques of everybody that's ever sold a U-2. And the date they sold, including the Tony Levere, you know, the original pilot, test pilot for Lockheed, everybody. And all the CIA guys, the original CIA guys, uh, all the uh, uh, Chinese guys that flew it. I don't know. Your, 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 I don't, your, your people here on the radio. We had quite a few Chinese uh, fly the plane. And uh, there's some really good stories about that. Um but um, they were Taiwanese. Yeah. Free, yeah. free. Uh, Republic of China. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the CIA had them, uh, got them checked out in the U-2 to, because uh, we were flying over mainland China and it got a little dicey. So they finally decided to let the, t the Taiwanese, the free Chinese, go fly over their home country. And almost every damn one of them got shot down. Wow. Yeah. There's quite a few guys been shot down in the U-2. Everybody usually thinks of Gary Powers. But uh, I guess back to the U-2. Um, see, that's why I said I can go on for years. <laughs> um, no, so you have uh, sensors in pods, sensors in the nose. Um, the U-2 still flies film cameras. That's why I said there's, there's cameras and there's imagery. Uh, there, in the nose, you can have a electronic uh, cameras, uh, which is really cool. The first time I flew the... Uh, the uh, the Sires camera, uh, senior year, and I won't tell you the rest of the everything is senior year, but Sires. So you're flying along, and what it is, the darn uh, camera, the sensor is so darn big, the lens is about as big as a garbage can. It hangs underneath the nose. Well, they couldn't get the, they couldn't figure out how to do anything, so they fixated it on the nose. So you're flying along. All of a sudden, you hear a little buzz in your headset. You know something electrical kicked on, and you 
and all of a sudden your pitot tubes, which are on the side of the plane, they're just rotating up like this, and they're right in front of you. So they would rotate. They just they rotate the entire nose. Wow. Huh. Wow. That's a pretty cool way of thinking about it. You know, you're out of the box. You know, coming up with this stuff, they just rotate the nose. That well, that's wild. a little unnerving. You're above <laughs> 70,000 feet. Yeah. <laughs> you saw torpedo <laughs> tubes running around here. <laughs> and, and is it automatically doing this, or are you commanding yeah, it yeah, to? Yeah, no, that's, okay. that's ran by uh, – they can do it a couple different ways. They can run it um, uh, uh, a tape, a mission tape, or uh, the guys on uh, – the guys back in uh, East Coast yeah. will uh, – <laughs> let's just say that – they'll uh, decide to look at something. Okay. So you're flying along and you see that you know the airplane starts doing something. They're like, oh, what are they? What are they doing now? <laughs> yeah. You know, you can ask them. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times um, when I was doing stuff in South uh, South America, we were um, put us in the jungle in uh, Panama, and uh, we just had a strip there, and and uh, we were doing stuff down in uh, for friendly neighbors in the south, and and uh, they didn't like you there. I didn't speak Spanish, but I'm sure they weren't. They were cussing out my, you know, <laughs> ancestors. <laughs> you know, you you dial up guard. You just didn't want to hear what they were saying at you. But uh, they, um, you'd fly over, um, and um, you don't have to worry. There's nobody that can get you. There's no missiles. They don't have anything down there. But you're, you're just doing things for people, like I said, on the East Coast. Okay, and. Um, so I get bored, and I talk to the guys, you know, in Virginia or whatever, and say, hey, you know, what's going on? And, but, you know, what team What team do you like? So, Redskins. They pipe in the Redskins game. <laughs> so I'm flying up there doing the stuff. You know, all the sensors are doing their thing, and I'm listening to the Redskins game. <laughs> it's <funny>. live. <laughs> or whatever the heck. Um, There's one time in Korea. Um right before you took off when we were in Korea, um, the mobile would hand you the today's uh, paper. Air Force Times or something? Yeah, Air Force yeah. Times. Yeah, A-farts, we used to call it. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, they didn't have it that day for whatever reason. And back then, I'm a lot older than you guys. I don't. You guys probably don't remember Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, so it was when the little girl stole Hobbes. You know, the damn puppet or made up yeah. toy. Yep. And uh, she was supposed to give it back that day not in the news strip. Well, they didn't have the damn paper. So I was pissed. <laughs> you know, so I'm up there flying against North Korea and China and this shit. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> they didn't have the paper. And I, was, I was ticked. So I was talking to the guys on the ground. Um, there in Korea, and uh, they finally got the thing to print, and I had the son of a gun sit there and tell me and read me the entire Calvin and Hobbes um, <laughs> of newspaper, so I could find out if what's her name Susie ever gave back Hobbes to Calvin. <laughs> I'm up seventy thousand feet, and the sons of guns are over here trying to kill me. <laughs> That's a true story. Hey, why not? It's actually a hilarious story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no so, America, your tax money is a well Because, my God, I found out what happened to Hobbes. Okay? Yeah, yeah, how much did that satellite link cost? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, it's paid for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. So we talked about landing the U-2, and we talked about um, you know what you're doing when you're up there um, at high altitude. What's it like to actually um, fly the airplane at high altitude? Are you hand-flying it a lot? Are you on no. autopilot? So you're, no. Okay, you're on autopilot. No. It, um, about um, as you got used to it, um, most guys, I think, would kick the autopilot on around 40, 50 or so. And, but... Um, Depending on the mission, because there was places you took off, and the minute you got the gear up, you're on, you're on, you're, you're online. Okay, so um, sometimes you do it a little bit quicker, uh, but most of the time, um, I would probably kick the autopilot on around 50, 55. You know, sometimes you know if everything's going cool, uh, maybe a little higher. But then after that, the plane is. Um, up there, it's tough to fly. 
Um, I think a lot of people know about the coffin corner of the uh, of the window. Um, the U two when you take off. Let me start this out. When you two when you take off, you take your throttle when you're ready to go. You release the brakes. You throw the throttle all the way up, maximum power, and you never touch the throttle again until you're ready to come down. Hmm. You never, never touch it. You don't level off in a U two. There's there's well, there's no restriction. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why when you see a U2 take off, if, you know, uh, it pulls up real quick. And if you're lightweight, damn thing will almost go straight up. I can remember the first time I did it in the in the pressure suit. I was still in the trainer at the time because you got to go up with an instructor. But, hell, you put the thing up there all the way, max power, you know, release the brakes, max power. Next thing you know, you're just like, look at it, it's the sky. In the space helmet, you're looking left, you don't see the earth. You're looking right, you don't see the earth. It's like, where, where the hell to go? <laughs> it's behind you because you're just boiling. The wings want to fly, so you, you just control it with airspeed. So it's max power. You never touch the throttle again. Uh, you're climbing out at about 130 or so knots, and you just keep that until you pick up a mock, um, um, the mock number you're looking for. Uh, and I won't tell you about that. It's it's not supersonic at all, okay? But you get up there, you get up up 60, 65, 70. Um, sort of funny to talk about these numbers, isn't it? Um, it's common. And um, uh, the, uh, the airspeed indicator is one of your friends because uh, just a few knots too slow and she stalls. And... Um, and a couple knots too fast, you go uh, uh, over the restricted Mach number. And your first warning in a U-2, because there's no, like a civilian aircraft or the 737s. I flew, what, six different versions when a Southwest pilot of a 737. There's no uh, pre-warnings. There's no, uh, how do you say, uh, you know, this is the max, but this is what we tell you is the max. You know, right. I can't think of what the... I'm trying to say here um but because the first uh acknowledgement that you've gone over max speed is the tail falls off that's fun yeah so <laughs> and the tail's only hold, held on by two bolts oh which is yeah those are your friends you, you never thought your friends would be two bolts but they are. no that's that's yeah. it i mean there's no buffer there's no uh, i mean whatever it says that's that's the end of it that's the structural limit of it and um, so, so that's as a pilot, you're uh, you kick the autopilot on, but you still stare at that airspeed indicator uh, quite a lot. Um, there isn't turbulence up there, but there's pressure waves. Okay, um, one of my good friends, Marty, he uh, he caught one of those pressure waves on the uh, over the Sea of Japan, and uh, the. Uh, uh, I know Jeff Groover's been into it. I've been into it. Um, a couple guys have been into it. A bunch of my friends have been into it. Uh, Marty, he um, didn't get out. So it broke the plane apart. We found him about a week later. Um, no, but it's, uh, yeah, you got to really watch the airspeed. You don't care about altitude. And as you lose, as you burn up fuel, you uh, you just keep climbing. The plane just keeps climbing the entire time you, you never pull the throttle back until you're ready to come down you plan uh your uh descent so uh you can make the glide to, to the airfield so you don't so you get there and you're about a bazillion miles away from say home port and uh so you can you can make the glide <laughs> so the first thing you do is you throw the throttle to idle you don't throw it you ease it back um and the you can watch the uh, fuel gauges, or, no, excuse me, the engine gauges, and nothing moves. The, the throttle is actually a request lever. I request you to go to idle, but huh. it, it says I not not in your way, sucker. And uh, so anyway, so after that, just like the 104, you put out the speed brakes on the waist back here. They're panels, and then you two had a uh, another way. Uh, Flaps, you know, because our flaps are up all the way. But we could throw a switch, and the flaps would go up. 
another seven and a half degrees. Like a glider reflexing them. Like, yeah. like a reflex. Yeah. And huh. can imagine the cord line to that wing yeah. when you put the flaps up. Hell, they're not a wing anymore. Yeah. And the plane still doesn't do anything. Okay, still up there in your orbit. And so the last thing you do, your spoilers are up, your speed brakes out, and you put the flaps up more. And the next thing you do, above 70,000 feet, you put the damn gear down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you put the gear down. I'm not kidding you. You put the gear down. And then it's like one potato, two potato, you know. Okay, the plane will finally start coming down. It takes about it takes almost an hour to come down at altitude, and uh, so as you look get low, the engine's still spooling like crazy, and uh, as you get lower, uh, the uh, pressure in the engine to cell it starts building, and so then the engine uh, fuel control unit will decide to, okay, I can come back a little bit. I'm not going to give you all you want, but I'm going to come back a little bit, and finally you get down into the fifties, and and she's going back to idle. But you, this, like I said, this is just the request lever, huh. your throttle. And uh, so then now you're coming down. But you keep everything hanging out. Um, you can put the speed brakes and the flaps back down and, and uh, whatever, you know, just to ensure. Oh, I, you know, especially a mission bird, when I was loaded up with the sensors, sort of tried to make uh, the field around eight to 10,000 feet above. So you can just make sure if the thing's shut down totally, dead stick, I can make it. Um, a few guys have, you know, especially with the older engine, it would did, it would dead stick. Um, I think BA Brian Anderson was one of the last that had the dead stick a guy in, but that I remember, it's probably not right. Um, but anyway, that's and then you just come on down, and that's when your mold takes over. Wow. Okay. What an incredible approach. That is that is <laughs> wild. <laughs> that's yeah. that's my life wow well thank you so much for for being a part of this thanks for coming uh we actually you're actually here uh, for those listening as part of our museum speaker series you're going to be speaking in the museum um thank you for being here it's such an honor uh for all those that uh, are tuning in uh we appreciate uh you uh, continuing uh, so to support the our uh, our green dot uh, uh podcast here we sure do appreciate any sort of reviews or comments you could leave online uh, wherever you find your your uh, your podcast and your subscriptions and if i can say one thing absolutely uh i know a lot of my uh brothers and the few sisters that flew the article uh don't write me please <laughs> so, <laughs> pablo stay on huggy stay off the internet okay <laughs> anyway thank you thank you all for inviting me and and uh listen to my silly stories now carl Absolutely. this has been incredible i and i i think um that's one thing that I, I hope we've been doing a good job of in the podcast is is bringing in folks who have who have been there doing really amazing things in aviation uh and if you um, can promise me one thing don't yeah. ever bring in another youtube pilot because they're oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that yeah. okay. <laughs> well thank you again yeah. for being here and for all those thank listening you, look forward to to your comments and uh and again thank you so much uh and we will uh, uh talk to you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot